the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Many are in search of ways to reach their highest potential. They want to be wise, strong, happy, and loving. According to today's guest, Dr. Rick Hansen, science is revealing how these ways of being are based on changes in our own nervous system, making them more attainable than ever before. He joins us today to explain the new neuroscience of awakening and how this can be an effective path to handling stress, healing old pain, feeling at ease with others, and understanding our natural goodness. Dr. Hansen is a psychologist, senior fellow of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center, and a New York Times bestselling author. Welcome, Dr. Hansen. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here again. So, Rick, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Your work is so interesting, and you have a new book out now that's entitled Neurodharma. What is neurodharma? Can you explain this to us? It's a made-up word for really the meeting, the combination of modern brain science, that's the neuro, with both psychology and the meditative traditions around the world, that's the dharma. And when those two come together, you uh, build on the penetrating analysis of our minds found in in the meditative traditions as well as in modern psychology. You combine that with a deep understanding of what's happening in the hardware, what those neurons are doing, right? Then what you can do is deliberately stimulate the circuits, in effect, uh, that underlie deep calm, resilience, compassion, and gratitude. And by stimulating those neural circuits, you strengthen them. It's kind of like working a muscle again and again, but now with the new science of all this, we know better and better what it is we're actually doing. So let's break this down further. Let's start off with the traditions. What do old traditions teach us about life? Wow, that's a profound question. That's great. <laughs> uh, traditions. Okay, there are many traditions, and I want to definitely include the traditions of the first people, the native people, the indigenous people, maybe called shamanic traditions around the world. Then we have the kind of well-known traditions like Christianity. I was raised a, a kind of a casual Methodist growing up. Then you have Eastern traditions such as Buddhism. And um, in my early 20s, I began to meditate, and I learned a lot about the Buddhist teachings himself. They're very simple, very direct, practical, psychological. Uh, Those teachings, for example, say essentially that all of our experiences are changing. And if we keep chasing shiny objects, we'll always be disappointed because they keep changing. And what we need to do is to take the middle way in life in which we live responsibly and live with passion and live well, while at the same time letting go along the way. Well, sounds good, right? Harder to do in practice, actually. But that's for, that's an example of some good, for me, very useful teaching from a ancient wisdom tradition. What happens then when we combine the science of the brain with these old traditions? One thing you start to learn um, how practice, in, including the modern updated, say, say a person meditates for 10 minutes a day, or maybe a person does some yoga, and, or maybe a person um, just does a pra- gratitude practice. Increasingly, we're starting to understand the physical changes they leave behind 
which then are really motivating. In other words, when you know that this thing that your maybe your well-intended partner has told you to do, honey, you need to take three breaths before you say something. Uh, when you finally understand, oh, wow, that's actually affecting the hardware. That's producing a mechanical kind of result inside me. You get more motivated. Another example is you start realizing that we've got some, you know, well-intended uh, features in our brain that are more like bugs today. One is called the negativity bias. That's because as we evolved, Mother Nature wanted her little babies to be very scared of bad things and, you know, kind of motivated for good ones. But these days, we have a brain that's like Velcro for bad experiences, but Teflon for good ones. It's a design feature of the brain. It was a feature back in the Stone Age, but today Mm -hmm. it's like a bug. So we can compensate for that by not um, overly ruminating, especially these days. It's so easy to get caught up in kind of negative rumination inside your head, much like you might feel sort of trapped <laughs> in your physical setting where, where you're sheltering in place. So if you ruminate a lot and um, you know worry about things or get resentful about things, you are reinforcing those neural traces inside your brain. And when you realize how vulnerable you are to that, it's another good motivator to not ruminate so much. And I think everything that you're talking about today and the timing of your book, it couldn't have been better because, as you said, we're sheltering in, we're, we're living in such uncharted territory, fear and anxiety and mental health issues and uncertainty, really incorporating these practices with what we know about the brain. It, it just couldn't come at a better time. I really appreciate you noticing that. Um, <clears throat> so there's perennial wisdom, and it's perennial, so it's always evergreen on the one hand. On the other hand, that wisdom is not just for one week a year when you're at yoga camp or for exotic characters in caves somewhere high in the mountains. Um, It's for everyday life. It's for, okay, how can we grow strengths inside and how can we use the strengths we've grown, uh, like grit or gratitude or a wider perspective or a sense of uh, contentment even with what we have? How can we bring these seemingly lofty capabilities into everyday life. They're very applicable. And I think uh, about, for example, uh, one thing recently that came out of the book, the new brain science of it all, is to appreciate the ways in which when we're bothered by something, we really narrow our view. We, We form a kind of tunnel vision. Research shows that if instead you try to back up, get a sense of your body as a whole as you breathe, then get a sense of the room as a whole, all right, and then maybe even extend your gaze sort of out toward the horizon. What that does inside your brain is it calms down verbal chatter. It calms down uh, what's called mental time travel, where you're you know worried about the future or lost in the fa- in the past. It brings you right into the present to widen, to get this sense of things as a whole. It also reduces the sense of self, me, myself, and I, my precious, right? And it gives you a, a really nice foundational feeling of a kind of spacious calm from which you can deal with your challenges. You know, I've done a lot of rock climbing, and one thing you just don't want to move, especially on tricky ground, is move from a shaky footing or a shaky handhold. You want to move from one solid hold to another. Uh, And so in this way, as we calm down, as we work the breath, as we light up the circuits I talk about in the brain of, let's say, this wider view or other things, then we're much more able to function well. Uh, and um, take good care of ourselves and and others too. And Rick, I want to back up for a moment. For listeners that are not familiar with neuroscience, neuroplasticity, can you just explain to us how all of the things that you're talking about, how they actually impact the brain? Because so many people have been taught that as you get older and you age, the Mm -hmm. brain degenerates and you lose function, but but the science is actually showing something different. That's really right. Um, So there are multiple sort of mechanisms, really interesting, that that underlie any kind of learning, any kind of development. So maybe someone learns how to, you know, make spaghetti sauce a little better. Well, something in your brain had to change for you to be able to get better at that. You learned how to do something better. Similarly, when we learn how to be more patient with other people or we learn how to feel more of worth in our own innate being, not arrogant, but not feeling inadequate or ashamed of ourselves or broken in some way. When we grow in those ways, something must change in the brain. So the physicality of that is that in our heads, we have about 85 billion neurons. 
amidst another 100 billion or so support cells. There are a lot of them, and the neurons are connected to each other, uh, about several thousand on average connections each. That gives us a network inside our heads of several hundred trillion little microprocessors all sparkling away. And they connect with each other in a variety of ways. For example, as a person learns to be, I'll give you a concrete example. As a person learns to be more mindful and more patient, typically what happens is they literally build neural tissue behind their forehead, part of the brain that is involved in top-down kind of executive regulation of ourselves, uh, reminding ourselves to, you know, take those three breaths before you speak in anger. Um, Also, as people become calmer um, and um, you know more resilient, there's greater uh, tissue also grown in a part of the brain called the hippocampus, uh, which uh, is, uh, calms down the alarm bell of the brain, the amygdala. And in the amygdala, this alarm bell, they watch out for this or that, uh, actually gets more regulated as people become more mindful and calmer. So it's, it's circuitry in a funny kind of way. It's like tuning your car. Uh, and that tuning happens partly by new connections forming physically between neurons, even within minutes. Existing connections get altered for better or worse. Um, and also there are changes in the expression of genes inside the neurons. Um, blood starts flowing to regions that are really busy. It's like muscles get bigger because they, you know, mm-hmm. they need more blood flow. So parts of the brain, for example, that are involved in mindful self-awareness, calming and compassion, those all you know, get more capillaries bringing blood to them. Uh, even there's greater coordination among parts of the brain. Uh, you know how we sometimes have the feeling that we're being pulled in two different directions by two different horses inside us, uh, pulling our buggy in the opposite directions. And what happens, um, let's say, with these practices is that parts of the brain that are not being properly coordinated with each other, thus supporting that sense of inner conflict, they start operating more in harmony with each other. So it's sort of like the whole team inside you is working together. So those are, there are other major uh, mechanisms, but that's a good summary. And the takeaway is really helpful for everybody, including people like me in my mid-60s. Lots of research shows that people, even who are older, can actually use this neuroplasticity, is the fancy term, can use this to gradually, truly grow the good inside themselves. It's not an overnight process. It's not a magic bullet, which is why I trust it. It's realistic, right? It's, it's authentic. It's grounded. It's one day at a time. But every day, if you deliberately, let's say, I give people a five-minute challenge. Every day, take, you know, a minute or two looking for a handful of experiences that you want to soak into yourself. Slow down for a breath, two, three breaths in a row, couple dozen seconds to kind of marinate in the experience and help it sink in. Maybe the feeling that someone likes you, help it sink in. A sense that you're actually getting stuff done, uh, even amidst all this coronavirus you know, stuff, let it sink in. That'll take a minute or two a day. Another minute or two a day, look for one thing in particular you're trying to grow in yourself. Are you trying to become a little more patient, trying to become a little more skillful with other people? trying to become a little more compassionate for yourself, a little more on your own side? Okay, look for opportunities to have an experience of that that, again, you internalize. You slow down for that breath or longer to receive it into yourself. So it gives your life direction. Okay, there's one thing I'm working on. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm not perfect. There's one thing at least I'm working on along the way, all right? And then the last, you know, couple minutes a day, that now we're up to five total, really slow down, and come home to yourself. Do what I call rest in deep green, where you just let it go, and you just hang out. You don't try to get any work done for that minute or two. You just stay present with yourself. Maybe stay aware of the feeling of breathing. Help your body calm down, and try to open into an underlying feeling of gratitude and calm and connection, lovingness, warm-heartedness with other people. That's our resting state. That's our home base. But we spend so much time driven from home, it can become the habit of inner homelessness. So that's my five-minute challenge. Everybody has those five minutes. They're spread throughout the day. Um, And yet, if you do them one day, it'll change your day. If you do them for a week in a row, other people will start to notice that there's a real shift in you. And that's just five minutes because the brain is so quick. It can grow. It can change rapidly.
And the words that you have been repeating are slowing down, being mindful. If we don't do that, you know, if we allow all of this information to keep coming at a rapid fire pace, then it's difficult to make those types of changes. That's correct. We're just swept along. Um, I know, Joan, that you know them yourself from the inside out um, in some ways. These are, I think, the essence of self-reliance. They're old school. The worse it gets around you, the more important it is to grow strength inside you, right? That's mm-hmm. classic. And um, so we are called to a personal responsibility, and we are called to getting control of our minds at least a little bit instead of, as you say, being distracted by one thing or another or swept along by one thing or another uh, over the course of our day. And um, if you think about it, if people value uh, being the boss of their own mind, you know, these days people are saying, well, you're not the boss of me. Well, are you the boss of yourself? Right? <laughs> you know, inside your core, are you the boss of yourself or in a healthy sense? Can you, are you autonomous? Are you, you know, who's the captain of your ship, right? And, and, and you know, or are you just being swept along by other currents around you? Also, besides autonomy, do you value competence? Do you value skillfulness? Well, uh, are you skillful with your own thoughts and feelings? And we have the opportunity every day to become a little more skillful with our thoughts and feelings and to exercise that sacred autonomy that we have in the core of our being and along the way become more self-reliant, more resourceful because we're more full of resources inside for the sake of others as well as ourselves. And all this is hardwired into your own brain, into your own nervous system. If you use the methods that I lay out in the book, which are backed up by tons of uh, research that's buried in reference notes in the back. The book is Neurodharma, New Science, Ancient Wisdom, and Seven Practices of the Highest Happiness. If you'd like to get more information about Rick and his work, you can visit rickhanson.net. And as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com, which stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. Rick, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, I would like to suggest that at this time in which there's so much that we don't have control over and there's so many uncertainties, that it's more important than ever to clean house inside. (laughs) To use this opportunity, you know, in the inner world, much as some people are, you know, using it in the outer world. Here you are sheltering in place at home. More closets, I think, are getting organized, right? Mm-hmm. A little back backlog of stuff in the garage is getting handled. That's definitely true in our home. And in the same way, we can clean house inside. We can just take stock. Okay, what's it feel like to be you? How are you doing? What's it like? Start there. And then second, um, listen to a kind of intuition, a wisdom that says, you know, it, I wish I fell in the blank. I wish I were calmer. I wish I were happier. I wish I were more patient. I wish I didn't worry so much about what other people think. Okay, now you have a goal. What do you want to grow? What do you want to heal? How do you want to develop? And then through the fantastic, profound power of self-directed neuroplasticity, you're taking charge of the brain change process inside yourself. Every day gives you opportunities to experience whatever you want to grow. And then when you experience whatever you want to grow, slow down, take it in. For me, there's a simple um, three-step process. Deal with the bad, turn to the good, take in the good, again and again, all day long. This is not positive thinking. It it actually is more realistic because by taking in the good, we grow strengths inside to deal with the bad more effectively. So that would be the one thing I would leave people with. Claim the power you have to grow a little more of the good inside your brain and therefore inside your mind and your life each day. Rick, thank you so much for joining us. I always enjoy speaking with you, and I would love to have you come back so we can continue the conversation. Oh, it would be a complete pleasure. And uh, the thing I would just leave people with is um, that this is very practical. You know, little things add up over time, uh, drop by drop. Uh, There's a saying that if you take care of the minutes, the years will take care of themselves. And I think that's very hopeful. Years are kind of above my pay grade, right? Uh-huh. But minutes, okay, the next few minutes, <laughs> I feel like I can I can influence that a little bit. Show up and do my job and be the best I can be in the next in the next minute. And then the minute after minute after minute after that 
taking in the good along the way. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a certified transition coach, reinvention expert, and speaker who empowers people that are stuck, overwhelmed, or ready for change to release the struggle, gain clarity, and evolve to their highest purpose as they move through life's challenges and transitions. Linda is here today to discuss how to Tolerate Challenging People and Opinions. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me back. It's always great to be here, Joan. Linda, this is a great topic because in today's world, you know, you see so much going on where people are not being tolerant of each other. And tolerance of others, it's such an important quality. And it's something that I think is really absent a lot in today's world. So, Can you talk a bit about why it's so important in our personal world, as well as in our culture, to be tolerant? Yeah, sure, Joan, you're right about that. You know, tolerance of other people, opinions, and behaviors of those we feel different from is critical to a peaceful coexistence with those around us. Cultivating tolerance not only allows you to find peace and quiet in your own corner of the world, but it's actually a core principle of a democracy. We're so lucky and blessed to be living in a democratic society where it's understood that we have the basic rights of choice. We have the right to religious freedom, free speech, and the like. Practicing tolerance is a critical and foundation element of a successful democracy because it's the intention to create a safe space for a diverse array of people, opinions, and lifestyles to coexist and be treated equally. No one human is more or less valuable than another. And if a democracy's intention is to create a place where we can all feel safe to be our authentic selves and expect to be treated equally despite different physical characteristics, backgrounds, opinions, then it's the job of its citizens to be willing to accept the diversity around us. If we don't, then we're effectively saying we want everyone to be, do, and act the same. And wow, not only is that uninspiring and boring, but it suppresses creativity and independent thinking. I think as a nation, our greatest asset is our people, including children, who we always encourage, right, to think outside of the box, invent solutions to problems, create products and services that serve the population in various ways. And I think intellectually, most of us think we're tolerant, but upon closer inspection, sometimes our actions and words do show otherwise. Mm-hmm. So we understand the importance of this. So now what? How do we foster it? <laughs> so I believe it begins with self-compassion. And Joan, you and I have talked about the importance of and the benefits of self-compassion before. Right. But here's how it relates to tolerance. The more critical and judgmental we are of ourselves, the harsher we judge others. In order to have tolerance of those who are different from us, we must first have love and acceptance and compassion for ourselves. We need to accept ourselves despite our own shortcomings and weaknesses. Practicing self-compassion makes us gentler with ourselves, and that allows us to be more forgiving when we do make mistakes. 
loving yourself for exactly who you are with less criticism and self-judgment is the first step, I believe, to tolerating others when we can love and accept our whole self, flaws and all. We become open to accepting others as well. Now what? <laughs> we understand that we need to be self-compassionate, so how do we foster that? So, you know, studies show that practicing, I teach a lot of meditation, and, mm-hmm. and one particular type I think really serves well here, because studies show that practicing a type called loving-kindness meditation creates a significant drop in self-criticism and a significant drop in social biases towards those you don't see eye-to-eye with or necessarily feel aligned with or agree with. This significant change occurs in as little as eight hours of practice. You know, that means if you only practice this seven or eight minutes a day, within two months, you can be much less self-judgmental, less self-critical, kinder and more compassionate towards yourself and others. I mean, imagine that, two months to a happier, healthier, kinder, more tolerant world. Is loving-kindness meditation something that anyone can practice? Yeah, I, I I believe it is. And, you know... Renowned meditation meditation teachers Sharon Salzberg and Jack Kornfield are big proponents of it, but it's everywhere. The foundation of loving-kindness meditation is sending love to ourselves before we send it out to others. And like we just said, it makes perfect sense. When we love and appreciate ourselves, we relax our sense of harsh judgment and begin to accept ourselves just as we are. Then we feel better and happier, and we naturally begin to extend that same good feeling to others. It's a practice that spreads kindness, acceptance, and tolerance. And doing loving-kindness meditation is pretty simple and quite effective. Anyone can do it. There's actually a script that some follow. It's not your typical meditation where you attempt to quiet your mind. Now, in the interest of time, I'm going to simplify it, but here are the basics. You get comfortable, you take a few deep breaths, and then you see yourself as if from afar. You start with these simple phrases. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be safe and free from pain. May I live my life with ease. And you take those really, you take them in. And then you repeat those phrases, directing them towards others. First to loved ones and friends, and then to those you may feel conflict with. It's a beautiful and effective practice and easy, and it promotes tolerance. It's such a wonderful message, Linda, because what a difference self-compassion and tolerance can make in this world. So if you would like to learn more about this topic or Linda and her work, you can visit livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. Do you ever feel like there's no end to the problems that you face? Do your challenges seem too great to overcome? Do you ask yourself, what's the point? If you answered yes to any of these questions, welcome to the majority. Most people at one time or another feel the same way. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. We tend to look at others and think that they have it made. They have it all figured out. What we don't realize is that those who appear to have figured it all out have the same feelings. However, they've made a conscious decision to turn their adversity into a positive experience. A wise person once said, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. We all face adversity. It's what you do with it that matters. I had the opportunity to interview baseball great Jim Abbott. Jim pitched a no-hitter with the New York Yankees, won the gold medal game at the 1988 Olympics, entered the starting rotation of the California Angels without spending one day in their minor league, and finished third in voting for the Cy Young Award. Jim was born with one hand. Jim spent much of his life with his missing hand tucked in his front pocket. Like the rest of us, he felt insecure and self-conscious. But he chose a career with a uniform that didn't have a front pocket. Even when he was standing on the pitcher's mound making history, his insecurities crept in his thoughts. But he never let those insecurities stop him. And now he serves as an inspiration to many children especially, proving that anything in life is possible. His challenge has become a gift. Will you let your challenge become a gift? Will you look for the lessons in your adversity? If you've lost a job, try to figure out what happened. Is there anything you could have done differently? Is it time for a career change? If you're facing an illness, look for the reasons why it may have happened. Can you change your lifestyle or your diet? Can you be an inspiration to someone else? If you have relationship problems, what can you change about the way you interact with others? Is the person an emotional drain in your life? If you're in debt, can you improve on your budgeting skills or become more financially prudent? Adversity is guidance. 
Sometimes it comes into your life to tell you it's time to change, sometimes to teach you a lesson. Always remember that anything can be overcome with the right attitude. Look to others for strength and inspiration. Rather than getting bogged down with your own problems, pay attention to people who happily survive and even prosper despite all of the odds. As Jim Abbott said, when something is taken away once, it is given back twice. Look for what is given back to you. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Many people believe that if they don't have a management title, they can't influence outcomes or other people. They think it's not their responsibility to make anything better. Today's guest, Angie Morgan, believes that leaders can be found at any level of an organization and that anyone can affect change if he or she commits to it. Angie is a military veteran turned leadership expert who teaches that leadership is not about authority or titles. It's about influencing people and outcomes. She's the founder of LeadStar and served as a captain in the U.S. Marine Corps. Welcome, Angie. Thank you so much for joining us. Joan, thank you so much for having me. I love the concept of your program. Well, thank you for that. And, and I'm so happy that you're here because with your training, you served as a captain in the U.S. Marine Corps. And with that training, I think you bring so much to this topic. So let's begin. Tell us a little bit about your military service. Well, I uh, decided during college, when I was a freshman at the University of Michigan, to enroll in ROTC, and I knew that I was getting myself into an intense physical experience, but I didn't recognize or appreciate at that time in my life how much I was going to change. And it wasn't just physically to meet the rigors of Marine Corps training, but it was just to your point of your program. It really changed my attitude and perspective about my own capabilities as a leader, Mm-hmm. Also, going into the Marine Corps, I, I would have thought leadership was about a job title or that person in charge is the leader. But the Marine Corps, my military experience, helped nurture these thoughts that leadership is really more about behavior. And there are behaviors that anyone can demonstrate to be more influential in their life. I mean, I think about leadership, it's about doing two things well, influencing outcomes and inspiring others. And those are skills that I still now rely upon each day of my life, not just at my job, but as a parent or in the community. And so it's kind of funny that this military experience enhanced every single role in my life in many important ways. You know, Angie, I think that there are many people who currently hold a leadership position that are really not leaders. They lack credibility in that position. So how does someone go about becoming credible, actually growing into the role? It's great that you say that because I think you're pointing out, Joan, that there's a disconnect in our society between what true leadership is. Many people do think it's about positional authority, but if you've ever worked for a bad boss, you recognize, no, Mm -hmm. no, no, manager and leader are two different things. And it's best summed up as you manage things, you lead people. And credibility is one of those most important skills that any leader needs to develop to gain influence over others because credibility forms that foundation of trust. And for those seeking to build their credibility, um, in our book, Spark, we write about four keys to building credibility. But if I could call out one that I think is most important, it's by making sure, um, you know, what you say, you actually do. We have this concept called the say-do gap. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the space between your actions and words? And if it's very, very small, you know, in reality, it's never going to be airtight. (laughs) But if it's really, really small, you're likely credible with other people. So for leaders, you have to guard your credibility with your life and just be very consistent with doing the things that you commit to actually doing. Going along with what you just said, that disconnect, do you think that sometimes that comes from the, the, the fact that people don't really know what they stand for? And then you have that disconnect between a value and an action. So how important is it to have a clear understanding of who you are and what you believe? I mean, I think that's probably why the Marines are you know, it's so successful in your training, because you're there with a belief that's congruent with the action that you're taking. And great point. And we also write a lot about character. In fact, that's one of the very first leadership behaviors we introduce in Spark 
is talking about that character. You know, your character is the manifestation of your values. So how well do you know your values and how much are they expressed in your life? There's a concept called the Galati effect. And really it's, it's more about self-fulfilling prophecies. If you know what your values are and they're top of mind, you're more likely to live them. But if you don't know your values, um, you can find yourself acting inconsistent with how you actually want to show up um, in all your relationships. And other people, you know, we may have a hard time, you know, paying attention or noticing when, when those disconnects, ha disconnects happen. But other people are watching, and you can lose your influence quite quickly when they start to pinpoint, oh, you know what, you're not who you really say you are. It's like that manager who says, you know, I value family, work-life balance, yet they, you know, email you all throughout the weekend, mm -hmm. you know, interrupting your personal time. And so it really goes back to character. Are you who you say you are? And, you know, once a person gets into that leadership position, and I'm sure you see this all the time. That person now believes that nothing is ever his or her fault. They always have someone below them to hide behind. And I, I, you know, when I see that, I lose so much respect for a person because I think a good leader needs to be accountable. And I agree incredibly so. One of the most, well, one of the great things about the Marine Corps is they always have sayings to help you govern your behavior. One of the most important things I learned as a young Marine officer, which I now carry with me in every role I fill, is that you're responsible for all your team does and all your team fails to do. Simple expression, but it's really important. I mean, no excuses, total accountability. So if, you know, your team member doesn't get you know, a project complete or misses a deadline. As a leader, you know, it's so easy to point the finger, to pass blame, but you have to stop yourself and really overcome some of those, you know, the, those responses that are just natural with human nature, you know, placing blame. You just kind of have to stop yourself and think, whoa, if you weren't successful, how did I contribute to that failure? And Angie, sometimes people are thrust into a leadership role or they may be wanting to obtain a leadership role, but they allow this self-doubt and fear to get in the way. So what are some strategies you offer to help someone build his or her confidence? Yeah, absolutely. I think confidence, if you really think about it, um, it, it connects to nearly every single success or outcome that we experience. You know, our confidence level uh, connects to the goals we pursue, um, is associated with the risks we tolerate or are willing to take. In Spark, we talk about four ways to build confidence. The one I think has had most impact over me is this concept of self-talk. Sounds kind of silly, right? Talking to yourself. But if you pay attention in those moments when your confidence is needed, so if you pay attention to that inner dialogue running through your mind, is it thinking you can or is it thinking you can't? Because surprisingly, in research shows that whether you think you can or can't, as Henry Ford said, you're right. And so what are your own beliefs about your abilities? When you're faced with pressure, stress, and need your confidence, are you doubting or are you promoting yourself? And again, that's going to connect to the outcome that you experience. Angie, how do companies benefit by investing in their leaders? Most of the businesses that we work with um, have been very successful, um, you know, streamlining their processes, gaining greater efficiencies, you know, really focusing on their strategies and, you know, really getting the management aspects of the business down. But what often is overlooked is tapping into the potential of every single individual on their team. Every employee carries around with them what I like to think of as discretionary effort, the effort that they could give if they were truly motivated and inspired. And that discretionary effort for small businesses can result to tens of thousands, even millions of dollars in revenue for that business. And for larger organizations, we're probably talking billions. So we work with mostly, you know, businesses at any stage of growth, you know, small, medium, or large, but we help them design programs that allow them to tap into the human capital potential within their organization. Angie, are there any other strategies that you want to offer our listeners? Absolutely. I think, you know, if, wherever you are on your leadership development journey, the most important thing you need to recognize is that leadership is a choice. So you choose to lead. It's not a birthright. It's actually behavior that you can opt into once you develop those behaviors. And no one can make you a leader. You have to make yourself a leader. And through the process, you know, we 
conclude Spark with talking about the critical um, behavior of consistency. As long as you continuously focus on your own develop, continuously improve, be consistent with your efforts, you'll grow and develop your abilities to lead, and with that comes opportunities for you to inspire greater success, not just in your life, but in the lives of others. The book is Spark, How to Lead Yourself and Others to Greater Success. If you would like to get more information about Angie, her work, or Spark, you can visit her website, leadstar.us. Angie, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What do you want to leave our listeners with? Well, I think one of the most important things about our work is that wherever you are in life, you still have so much growth and development. So wherever you see yourself five years from now, I really hope that you can move yourself up a few more notches. We undersell our opportunities for growth and development, sometimes to our disadvantage. We all have the power to do amazing things. It starts to your um, your program's name, it starts with attitude, and it's followed with will and commitment. And so my um, to your listeners of your program, just really you know, raise, raise your expectations for yourself and surprise yourself with the amazing things that you can do. Angie, thank you so much for being here with us and for the reminder that anyone can be a leader in any role, whether at work or in life. So it was really a pleasure having you here and much success with your book. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it, Joan. We'll be right back. With all the different types of diets found in the media and on the market today, which type of diet is right for you? Hello, I'm Dr. Kyle Appuccino, chiropractic physician and founder of Health on Main Wellness Center located right here in Little Falls, New Jersey. Adkins, Mediterranean, South Beach, Slim Fast, Dash, Weight Watchers, Ketogenic, or Herbalife, to name just a few. This list seems seemingly endless, so where do you begin? Firstly, recognize why you're starting a diet. Is it to lose those unwanted pounds, to fit into a dress or pair of pants, or because your primary doctor has advised you that it's in your best interest to lose weight? Secondly, understand how much your health, or lack thereof, affects those around you. Your choice has a ripple effect across many lives, not just your own. Thirdly, decide which type of diet will be best for you, and remain consistent with it. A diet is not about giving up the things that you love. Rather, it's a path to get and stay healthy. The word diet itself has a Greek origin meaning a way of life. So make your diet fun and interesting. Be able to identify if you're losing water, protein, muscle, or fat. A scale can identify weight loss, but may not be able to show you exactly what you're losing. Each type of diet has its own unique nuances. So make a well-thought-out decision and be sure to do your research following the data, not just television commercials. For more helpful information on a diet that is right for you, please give me a call at 973-832-6722. Or you can find me online at healthonmain.info. I'm Dr. Kyle Abchino chiropractic physician, health and nutrition coach, and founder of Health on Main Wellness Center, located right here in Little Falls, New Jersey. Hi, this is Angela Vlakonchik, and I'm a stress management specialist from Bridge Management Consulting, offering teachable stress management skills. Did you know that the stress response is both a physical and mental response? Physical symptoms can include headaches, stomach aches, and tightening of the body's muscles. The mental response is the negative thoughts that flood the brain and don't leave, looking at the negative possible outcomes and putting it on replay in your mind. To bring the body back to calm, try square breathing. Breathe in through your nose to the count of four, hold to the count of four, release to the count of four, and relax to the count of four. Do this for three rounds. This will slow down your heart rate and calm your nervous system. To help with the negative thoughts, use a neutralizing thought to create awareness for another way of thinking. Repeat a phrase like, I am not my negative thoughts, for a few minutes so it can take hold. Then use an affirming thought, starting with the words, I am. Try, I am calm, as a mantra. Repeat that several times with your eyes closed. Go back to it every time you need it. Remember, with practice, you can bring calm back into your life, regardless of what's going on. For coaching or webinars on stress relief services, visit bridgemanagementconsulting.com. Do you have a parent or loved one who's a senior living alone and you're worried about their safety? Hi, I'm Dan Coleman, professional investigator and founder of Creative Solutions Investigative Services. With advances in medicine, our senior population continues to grow, and they wish to remain self-sufficient and independent for as long as possible. Unfortunately, there are people who prey upon this segment of the population and target them for crimes or fraud. What can you do to help keep your loved ones safe? The best way to protect our independent seniors living alone is to have a good plan in place. 
make certain that any cash or checkbooks they have is out of the home or in a place they cannot easily access. Provide them with an easy-to-use cell phone that they keep with them at all times. If someone comes to their door, have them call you before they answer the door and keep you on the line as they open the door. Burglars and thieves are skilled at distracting and disorienting seniors who answer their door. Another safety feature to consider is installing security cameras inside common areas in their home that you can view over the Internet to monitor their well-being. If you need more information or assistance, you can reach me, Dan Coleman, through my website, csinvestigations.info. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or Google. Search for Conversations with Joan and subscribe. New shows drop every Monday. You can also access the podcast through our website, cyacyl.com. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. to your health. Joining me is Dr. Michael Roizen, co-founder and originator of RealAge.com. He's the author of the book, This Is Your Do-Over, Seven Secrets to Losing Weight, Living Longer, and Getting a Second Chance at the Life You Want. He's here today to discuss how we can reverse mistakes, optimize health, and live a life filled with energy and joy. Welcome, Dr. Roizen. Thank you so much for joining us. Joan, it's my privilege. Thank you for inviting me. Doctor, you're a leader in helping people turn their health around. What can the average person expect from following your plan? Well, it depends where the typical person is when they start. But basically, what you do is you get to reverse or stop or at least prevent the development of chronic diseases that would likely come later if you continued behaviors. And we know that just doing some of the simple things, such as walking 10,000 steps a day, we know that avoiding tobacco or, in fact, getting off of tobacco is possible for probably 90-some percent of people on tobacco. And we know from some really, really good data that you can actually pull plaque out of your coronary arteries or even out of your arteries going elsewhere to reverse atherosclerosis. So what we know for sure is that you can get a do-over, feel more energy, look younger, and have more vigor and enjoyment of life. Regarding nutrition, you say that there are five food felons that we must avoid. What are they and how can we tell if they're in our food products? Well, the five food felons are simple sugars, that is added sugar, simple syrups, added syrups, and honey and maple syrup, much as they taste great, are simple syrups, and as is high fructose corn syrup, and then simple or what we call stripped carbohydrates, carbohydrates that aren't whole grain. The fourth is trans fat, and the fifth is foods with saturated fat, and we've learned an awful lot about why foods with saturated fat are bad. It is the red meat and egg yolks aren't bad because of the cholesterol effects and you look at our writing it never has been we've never known really why they're bad but they're bad because they cause inflammation they change the bacteria inside your gut to cause you inflammation doctor before we run out of time I want to touch upon the last two strategies that you offer and these are the importance of intimate relationships and finding our passion in life what is the science behind these two areas The key in these areas is to find something you love doing so that you're revved and excited and enjoy life. And we don't know why giving back and why, if you will, being a buddy to others is so good for your health, but it is. And we don't know whether it is just that it it helps you manage uh, or your brain manage all those daily events that would otherwise be stressful because you're feeling good about something, but giving back, saying thank you, finding a passion, all of those things are what drive us to higher performance, but they're also what drive us to better health. Finding a passion in life seems to be a extra benefit, and it's a really big benefit on how long and well you live and how well you're able to reverse or prevent disease. 
The book is This Is Your Do-Over, Seven Secrets to Losing Weight, Living Longer, and Getting a Second Chance at the Life You Want by Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Roizen, thank you so much for being here with us. And I hope that our listeners will heed your advice and join me in taking back our health. So thank you so much for being here. Joan, thank you. It's a privilege meeting you. Thank you, Joan. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? When a tornado is tearing through town? Or a hurricane strikes? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. And it's not always as simple as using your cell phone. That's why now is the time to take action. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. joining us, I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.